Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real dialogues that celebrate the people, ideas, and companies that stand out. Conversations that we hope inspire, educate, and entertain you on your road less traveled. And uh, man, do we have a guy who (laughs) has been on the road less traveled. This episode really begs the question, what does it take to truly be yourself in business and in life? Our guest is the amazing author of the best-selling The Freak Factor. His name is, his name is David Rendall, and uh, he has a doctorate in organizational leadership. And Dr. Rendall wears a lot of pink, way more than the average guy. And uh, we have a riveting conversation about letting your own freak out and how the truth is that we're all weird. Some of us weirder than others, but all of us have our own weirdness. And uh, we also talk about how our weakness can become strengths, why finding people who share your weird is a very good thing, and the fact that there's no such thing as anybody who's average. Listen, uh, especially for the part of the conversation where David talks about how the people in your life can actually hold you back from designing and living the life that you want and what you should do about that. Now, we are sponsored by my friends at Oracle NetSuite. NetSuite is the platform for growth for entrepreneurial businesses. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com different. And my friends at Splunk are the leaders in big data, and they want to help you bring data to every question, every decision, and every action in your business by removing the barriers between data and action. Check out splunk.com. That's splunk.com. And tell them Lockhead sent you. I also want to tell you about a podcast that I love called The Mission Daily. It was one of Apple's top podcasts for 2018. And one of my favorite episodes is The Art of Storytelling with none other than Alec Baldwin. Check out The Mission Daily podcast wherever you get legendary podcasts. Now, hey ho, let's go. Yeah, so the freak was actually one of my nicknames. Um, when I was a kid, I was always uh, really, really skinny and ultimately really, really tall. And so a lot of negative nicknames, Twiggy and, and Stick Man and things like that. Freak was one of my nicknames in college because I was painting, uh, not like a painter of uh, art, but like a painter of houses. And when I would show up, the people would sometimes say that it's nice to have me on the crew because you don't need ladders. So my friends just started calling me the freak. And so that's where it started. But the word freak means two things. It means something positive. It means something negative. If you call someone a control freak or a neat freak or a clean freak, you're telling them they're doing too much of something. There's something wrong with them. They need to tone it down. Uh, You're criticizing them. And uh, if you call someone a freak in a sporting context and as an athlete, um, it means that they're unusually gifted and talented. Um, and so I like, uh, I like the word because of its dual meaning, the idea that uh, freak is a, a term we often use as a criticism, but it's also a term we use um, positively. And I, I want that. I want both of those associations. I want it to um, remind people of something negative and something positive at the same time, because that's sort of what I'm going for. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, I've consumed a bunch of your stuff and I think it's great, uh, but it seems that you're really trying to um, 
support people, empower people, encourage people to get their freak on in their in their life, yeah. their work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and specifically, uh, you know, your thing's called Follow Your Different. I mean, um, I want people to be different in a, in a very specific way, not to like um, go out of their way to be different as sort of a, a decision almost, but to be willing to be themselves in ways that they felt like they had to hide because other people were defining it negatively, defining it as a weakness. So what I try to show people is that their weaknesses, those seemingly negative things about them, you know, let's take being a control freak or a neat freak, for example, um, aren't just negatives. They're also positives. And instead of toning those things down, maybe they should crank them up. It's not about saying, oh, I'm going to wear pink or I'm going to wear black or I'm going to dye my hair uh, necessarily, unless that's what you want to do. It's about saying, this is who I am. And I've been suppressing it because of pressure from my parents, my teachers, my employers, my friends, society, etc. And I'm trying to get people to A, see themselves differently, find the strength hiding inside of that weakness, um, and be willing to amplify and, and, and embrace those parts of themselves that people have been telling them they need to, they need to reduce, they need to moderate, they need to eliminate, they need to suppress. You know, it's interesting because I, I have found, uh, for a long time, David, it's something I'm fascinated by is that, um, you know, on one hand, we as human beings, we want to feel accepted and we want to fit in. Yeah. Uh, we, want, we want to be invited. We want to be included and, and we're tribal animals. But when you really get below the surface, uh, we want to be valued for what makes us uniquely us. Yeah. So there's this interesting, I'm not sure if it's a dichotomy, but there's this interesting human nature uh, a component at play here, which is this desire to be connected and part of the tribe and all that. But the truth is, not to get overly corny, corny overly quickly, but um, we connect on things that were the same. You know, I'm from Canada, by way of example, and I live in California. And if I, I'm going out to dinner tonight, and if I were to meet some new person at dinner who is Canadian, they'd be, oh, you're from Canada. And there'd be an affinity and there'd be things we talk about. And we'd feel a connectedness because of a similarity we have. And that's a very powerful thing. Or if we're fans of the same sports team or we went to the same school or, you know, all of those sorts of connection points that, that, may, that make us feel comfortable with people. And those are healthy things. However, right. the thing that we most want to be loved for is what makes us uniquely us. Yeah right? Is, is, is the thing that makes us different is the thing that, you know, is a little bit freaky, right. <laughs> good or bad about us. And so there's this interesting sort of duality of we want to fit in and we want to connect on, on similar things. But yet the truth is, um, we want to be loved. We want to be valued for what makes us unique. Yeah. The way I try to resolve that, cause I think you're right. Those are both true. And I think we oftentimes sacrifice the uniqueness for the acceptance, right? Um, and so the way I try to resolve that is one of the things I talk about in the, in the book, the freak factor is affiliation. Um, and part of that is partner with people who are strong where you're weak, look for people who are different from you. But the other side of that, um, is both alignment and affiliation sort of finding the right spot, but it's also finding the right people. And so what I try to explain is that if what you have to do is, is be weird, be yourself, be different, but then find people who are weird like you right? Find people who are weird like you. In California, it's not normal to be from Canada, 
And so when you're finding that person, um, you're finding something similar with them, but it's the thing that makes both of you different, right? It's the thing that makes both of you different from most of the people around you. So what you're doing is inside of a broader range of things, you're different, you're unique, you're a Canadian Californian, and you bump into someone else from Canada and you're like, hey, there's someone who gets me, they're weird like me. And when you're with them, you're not weird anymore. You're normal to them, but you're still weird in the broader context. And so I think that's what we need. We need to not expect that acceptance and love and connection from everyone. And we need to not try to force ourselves to fit in everywhere that we are. Uh, we need to seek out those people who are weird like us and who connect with us and who get us. And some people like you um, say, oh, Dave, I love the pink and that's cool. And other people like that's stupid, that's weird, that's dumb. Um, well, what's your problem? Um, or they even, you know, start making inferences about sexuality and all sorts of things like that. And so some people get it. Some people don't. Some people like it. Some people don't. Um, and so uh, you're not going to win everybody. You're not going to win everybody over. So ultimately, it's about finding people who get you, who are weird like you and like you for the weird person that you are, instead of saying they'll like you once you change to, to be something that fits more with, with their idea of what's good. And I'm curious, you know, my buddy Hal Elrod, who wrote The Miracle Morning and, uh, you know, is an amazing thinker and, and author and so forth, a podcaster. He said something fascinating to me in this regard that I'm curious to get your reaction on, particularly in the context of our, of our work life, but really in life in general, which is when we enter a new social circumstance, uh, particularly if there's people around there that we don't know or we're meeting for the first time, one of the big calculations we're doing in our head is, how much of my real self can I be in this yeah. group uh, and, and, and still be accepted? Yeah. Right? So we're trying to find this, you know, can I pull off the pink glasses in this meeting or not? Right. You know, yeah. Or in, in, in my case, like I, you know, I, I just naturally swear a lot. Right. It's like, uh, if I swear a bunch in this fucking meeting, am I like, uh, how long <laughs> am I going to last? Right. And so yeah. I'm curious, like, I, I, I so love what your work is about because you're encouraging people to be themselves and to, you know, um, employ their freak factor to follow their different, to, to focus on what makes them uniquely them. But yet at the same time, to your point, if we if we have our freak factor on, you know, on 11, and it can also be alienating, right? There's some magic line between being authentically ourselves and, and being uniquely us, and yet not sort of starting off so weird that like nobody can even fucking hear us because we're just too far out there. And so I'm curious how you think about this kind of balance. Oh no! So I don't want to. I don't. Uh, I don't believe in that at all. Don't believe in balance at all. Because um, I, I think we always go too far to the other side. I, I think there's. It's so. I don't think anybody needs that sort of caution, uh, or very few people do, because so many people have it turned down so low that in their mind, cranking it up all the way wouldn't even be to five on a scale of one to 10. You know what I mean? Um, so for example, uh, I can't make the calculation about the glasses. I have to show up with them or not, or else I can't see, right? Um, you've got tattoos, right? That you can either make them visible or not make them visible. But the reality is when you make them visible, someone else is going to be like, oh, there's somebody who has the balls to wear show their tattoos. I've always hidden mine. Uh, I wonder if he can get away with that. Oh, he's getting away with it. Ooh, maybe I can too. Maybe this is okay. Uh, you drop your first F-bomb and somebody else is like, oh, now there's somebody that I can get along with. I've been wanting to swear all night, but I didn't think I could get away with it, right? So I think um, at some point, the only way you find people who are weird like you is by being you. And then somebody else who's been hiding who they are goes, oh, 
that's my person. That's I get that person. I like that person. I mean, how would you ever find out that it was okay to show your tattoos if you're always hiding them? How would I find out that people love the pink glasses if I don't wear the pink glasses? Um, and so I think um, it, we we all do make that calculation, and I think we almost always make it wrong. We always assume that we can't, that we shouldn't, that it won't work, that people won't like it. Um, like, you know, I'm in all those situations all the time. I'm at cocktail yeah. receptions with people I don't know. I'm speaking in front of groups that I don't know. I, I, I'm on airplanes. I'm in hotels. Every day is a constant barrage of people that I know. There's no way for me to make that calculation. I think it's the reverse. Be yourself and watch who is attracted. Watch who is drawn in. Watch who responds positively and start making a mental note of that and start trying to gradually build up uh, you know, your, your connections with those people and don't worry about the rest. Um, now it, it, to your, you know, maybe the balance point, which again, I don't think is usually an issue. Um, maybe the balance point is if no one ever likes it, if no one ever gets it, if no one ever responds positively, then maybe you've gone too far. Uh, but even then, you know, that's why the internet was developed or something. There's always <laughs> one person, you know, somewhere. Um, There's always one it. person. Um, and, and swearing, I think is a good example. I mean, yeah, uh, you said there's always yeah. any one other person you can get your yeah. freak on with, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, but look at I mean, Gary Vee's a great example of the swearing. You know, he doesn't he doesn't say, "Is this a time that I can swear?" He swears, and if you get Gary Vee, you know, you're getting swearing. You know that there's no there's no PG version of it. Um, and if somebody said, I mean, he's successful enough that if somebody calls up Gary and says, we want you at our event, but we don't want swearing, he'd probably say, well, fuck that. I'm not coming. I don't need to do your event, right? If your people can't handle me, then I don't need to be that. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, and, and I think, you know, anybody who's listening to your podcast, if they hear you swear and go, oh man, that's not my style, then that's not their style. But you can't, uh, you can't swear for some of your uh your listeners and not swear for other listeners because um you know they're, they're all they're all hearing the same thing um and so yeah i think i think it's about being yourself uh pushing that envelope um and, and watching what happens and, and at least in my experience uh the responses have actually become more and more and more positive as i've gone farther and farther and farther and farther um when i when i was tentative or testing or early on, I think uh, the responses were fine, but I think that the responses have gotten more and more kind of uh, enthusiastically positive as I've pushed the envelope farther, 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 farther. I mean, just this T-Rex here is something I found because some kid, you know, Build-A-Bear has a brand new pink T-Rex and one of my shirts has a pink T-Rex on it. Um, and there's a story behind that. And so uh, so I got one and, and outfitted it with a Milwaukee Brewers shirt because that's where I'm from. Um, I wouldn't have known about that if I wouldn't have worn a bunch of pink and been a man who does presentations with a pink dinosaur cartoon on his t-shirt. Um, and so again, those things, I don't think those are things you can focus group. I don't think those are things that you can run by a marketing agency and have them go, yeah, you're a fully grown man and you're a professional and you're speaking to a bunch of CPAs. I bet they're going to love a, a pink dinosaur in your shirt. I think that's a smart move. I think that, that, that tests well with that demographic. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think you just have to go for it and, uh, and watch what happens. Yeah, I, I think in general, I, I, I agree with you. And I think particularly over a longer period of time, right? So if I think about the swearing, um, 
if you invited me to go, like I, I, I'm involved with a nonprofit called One Life Fully Live, and I often speak for them. And uh, not all their events, but many of their events are, are what they call family friendly. And there's a, you know, there's children in the room. Now, look, I come from a world that says it's totally fucking fine to swear around kids. As a matter of fact, kids know <laughs> how else will friends. they learn how to swear properly? Well, there's that. They haven't of heard it growing up. <laughs> and, 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 and kids are smart. You know, whenever I swear in front of somebody that I don't know and there's a kid around, they're like, oh, you know, cover your ear. I'm like, the kid knows not to go to school and say to Mrs. Johnson, here's my fucking homework. The, the, an eight-year-old understands that. But, so I actually th- think swearing in front of children is completely fine. However, that's my opinion. And there's many people, particularly in Puritanica, uh, puritanical America, that don't yeah. necessarily agree. And so in that situation, I will go and I will give a 45-minute talk without swearing, sure. uh, as tough as it is for me. And so there's also this, this sort of interesting thing that I think we're all playing with, which is, um, uh, you know, we want to be, to your point, we want to be able to connect with people. Is this going to work? And at the same time, we want to be sort of authentically ourselves. And I know for me, I can definitely modify my behavior. I, I've never met the Pope, but if I met the Pope, I wouldn't say, how the fuck are you? Um, right. But at the same time, if you and I are going to be friends and yeah. swearing's not okay with you, yeah. We can't be friends. We're probably not going to be friends. We're probably and not. That's, see, that's a good point, right? So, yeah. So I think the goal is to modify less and less and less over time and less and less and less as a percentage. I think most people are modifying almost all the time for everyone, everywhere, not making one exception 45 minutes at a time. They're doing the reverse. They might be themselves 45 minutes at a time every once in a while. Uh, they're always asking, what's the dress code? They're always asking, what's the proper way to behave? They're always looking at everybody else to see how to respond. They're always concerned about how things are going to play. Um, and that's exhausting. And it's not, and it's not effective anyway, um, because sooner or later people are drawn to the person who doesn't care. I mean, that's what people do: is fully grown adult men will walk up to me, successful um, adult men will walk up to me at an event and go, "Hey, man, I love your pink pants," for example. Um, but I don't think I could pull that off. And let's take that piece by piece. They're fully grown. They're an adult. They have their own money. They have their own life. Um, they've been successful and they love the pink pants. So uh, that's our starting point. And then their next step is, I don't think I could pull that off. And what they mean is, I don't think the people around me would respond positively. In fact, I think they'd respond pretty negatively if I did that. So even though I love pink pants, I'm not going to wear pink pants. And I tell them it really is much simpler than that, right? It's a two-step process to pull off pink pants. Step one, buy some pink pants. Step two, wear the pink pants. Um, and then someone will walk up to you and say, I really love the pink pants. I don't think I could pull off the pink pants. It doesn't actually require anything, but we think it does. Um, it doesn't actually cause any specific reaction, but we think it would. And what it actually does for most people is cause people to go, wow, that person must have some confidence in your word balls. And people have said that exact thing to me before. I don't have the balls to wear pink pants. It doesn't actually take balls to wear pink pants. Some people think I don't have balls because I wear pink pants. It doesn't take balls. Uh, all it takes is the purchase of pink pants, even steal the pink pants. I'm not really the procurement of pink pants. It just put on the pink pants and someone will assume things about you that are surprisingly positive when you anticipated the response would be negative. In fact, the majority of the responses I get 
um, to the pink in general are positive. I think people who are negative tend to not say it, they think it, or talk to other people about it, or nudge their neighbor, or joke. Uh, for example, I was just uh, doing an event the other day at a pretty buttoned up sort of event place for people who are pretty buttoned up. Um, and I was getting lunch, and there was some uh, servers and uh, wait staff. And um, two of them were standing next to each other when I walked by wearing tons of pink. And uh, one of them starts going, which is the Pink Panther theme song for those who don't know. And then they just started laughing hysterically because they thought I didn't know that they were making fun of me. They thought they didn't know. I didn't know they were making a Pink Panther reference. But I just went along and got my food and uh, went along and did my thing. And they literally were just falling apart, laughing and just having a great time uh, making fun of my pink clothes. Uh, but I didn't care. And I wasn't interested in engaging with them about that. But the majority of the responses are positive. And again, it, it, it gives someone it gives someone the permission that, wait a second, I like that. I want to do that. And maybe I could, because if it's working for him, maybe it would work for me. And that's part of what I'm trying to do is show people that some things are possible. And, and what are we talking about? Jeez, it's clothes. You're not, you're not killing someone. You're not attacking someone. You're not harming someone. And that's what I tell people. If you're afraid to put on pink pants, are you making bold business decisions? Are you making bold decisions in your personal life to do things um, that are really powerful? If you're afraid of the response to pink pants, it's clothes. What if you need to make a big strategy decision? What if you need to make a big personnel decision? Uh, what if you need to make a tough choice in your personal life? Um, so I think if we start with small things that are relatively inconsequential, it's easier to move up to the bigger differences that really, really matter over time. So why do you think so many of us play it safe in this regard? We, we, we actually, uh, you know, most people by the time they get to their early 20s have built pretty powerful walls and defense systems around protecting themselves. And, and I, I remember myself, I started my first company, uh, David, when I was 18 years old. And until I was in my early 20s, I was, I would, I would tell you, I was playing being a business person. What, what I yeah. thought a, a, an executive or an entrepreneur, I didn't even know entrepreneur, but you know, what I thought you were supposed to be, I didn't go to school. And so I had imposter syndrome and you know, for me, entrepreneurship was a way out, not a way up. It was like either that or manual labor. And so fuck it, right. I started a company. And, and, and anyway, so I was trying to be this thing that I thought you were supposed to be, right? And I had yeah. some success, but I didn't have real success. And I certainly was uncomfortable a lot of the time. And, uh, and we could get into it if it matters. But over a little bit of time, I realized, you know what? To your point, I, I can be myself in business. And it was only when I stopped pretending to be an executive and said, fuck that, I'm going to be me. You know, the three things I got told were you got to go back to school and get an MBA. Not an option for me. I'm dyslexic. I'm, I'm dyscalculia. I have all these things. I call it dysfuclia. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Dysfuclia med school was out. They said, uh, you got uh, to learn how to play golf. And look, I've got a lot of friends who play golf and I don't bemoan anybody how they get their stoked but frankly yeah, yeah. i think golf is for wankers golf is for <laughs> golf is sure. not my thing and then the third one i i got was and you got to stop swearing or you're not going to be successful and it was only yeah. in, you know until i said fuck all of that and fuck trying to be something i'm not i'm going to be myself and i'm going to figure out how to make me work as opposed to pretending to be what i think other people need me to be and so i i guess this leads me to a question which is uh, two parts a why do so many of us get stuck 
in trying to be what we think others want us to be. And then, of course, that leads to the obvious question, which, which I think is a big part of your work, which is, and then how do we break out of that? Yeah, I think it's because we assume somebody knows. I think we assume two things. I think we assume somebody knows. I think we think our parents know, our teachers know, our employers know, our friends know, whoever's giving us that advice knows um, just because they're older or whatever. Um, And we assume there's a right way. We assume that swearing is either right or it's wrong. It's either good or it's bad, that either the proper language is proper and effective, either golf gets you somewhere or it doesn't. Um, And if someone's telling us that's what works, I mean, most people want to be successful. They want things to work out. They want to they want to create the life that they've imagined. So I think we assume that 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 there are rules uh, that aren't that there that there aren't that 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 dressing the right way, acting the right way, going to the right school, getting the great, right degree, hanging out with the right people, um, and any time. Uh, and that's what we hear: parents, teachers, employers. I think that's the main three places that it comes from. Uh, they tell us the same things over and over, and most people just believe it. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's when you're a kid and everybody's giving you the same lesson. Then why wouldn't you believe that? Um, so I don't think we have enough role models, uh, for different. And even when they happen, then you, people say things like, oh, well, that's the exception. Um, well, that's where the word exceptional comes from. It doesn't prove that, that, that that's not the way to do it. It proves that that can work. And so if you like to swear, or if you don't want to go to school, or if you don't like golf, you can do that. Um, and so I think that's part of well, why I do what I do is I think we need to see someone doing it to believe that it's possible. We need to have an experience where we end up surprisingly successful doing it our way instead of everybody else's way. We need to have some kind of rebellious streak where we just can't handle it and we try it our way as an experiment and it goes well. Um, I think we need someone to come alongside of us and say, you know, that all those other people are wrong. Be yourself and read it in a book, see it in a presentation um, get it from some coach or a mentor and, uh, somebody who can give us permission, somebody who can give us the encouragement to try it that way. Um, and that's why I do what I do. I try to be the solution to that particular problem because I wish someone would have told me that at a much younger age, because I'm just like you. Uh, I was, um, um, I was, uh, in supervision very, very early on. I was a college professor at one point and I was teaching people in non-traditional education who were my parents' age. I was supervising people who were my parents' age. And so I was very much doing the same thing. I was wearing dress slacks and my belt matched my shoes and I was wearing a shirt and tie and the tie didn't have, the shirt didn't have wrinkles. Um, and I cut my hair and I shaved my face. A a pink dinosaur on the tie. (laughs) No, there was none of that. That's exactly the point is that I wanted to be seen as a professional. And so I asked myself, how does how does a grown up act and look and all those kinds of things? And it was only um, through sort of just a series of kind of random experiences and events that I started testing whether that was the best approach and questioning whether that was really going to get me anywhere and um, and that's it's brought me to here slowly but surely, you know, one kind of change at a time. Um, and so I, I think I didn't have a lot of role models for that, and not only did I not have role models for that, most of the role models we have are the opposite. They're they're for everything else. I mean, when I walk through the airport, I don't see people dressed like me. Uh, when I, when I, when I go to the hotel, I don't see people dressed like me. When I go to the event, I don't see people dressed like me. I mean, I've even made the comment before, um, that, that, that where we are matters and, and nobody would give me a second look if I was in Las Vegas 
uh, because my pink pants wouldn't be very exceptional because at least I'm wearing pants, you know, and when you're on the street in Vegas, that's not necessarily very common. Um, and, and yet I was in Las Vegas just the other day doing a mother son retreat um, for YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And uh, we were walking down the street to a show and I had mismatched pink shoes on. And some person in Las Vegas, despite the fact that there's like, you know, billboards for a strip club driving down the road past us and two women in uh, like silver bikini uh, outfits standing right next to me on the side of the road and just all sorts of lights and chaos. A woman was walking by me, looked down at my mismatched pink shoes and, and had to stop and talk to me about it. Um, and so th that's a long way from the way I used to behave. And so now I know it works and I'm constantly looking for ways to push it even farther um, and, and then use that example to encourage other people to do the same and then watch it work for them and then tell their story. Right. You would love where I live, David. Have you ever been to Santa Cruz, California? I don't think I've ever been specifically to Santa Cruz, no. Yeah, you, you would know if you'd been here. And uh, just two simple examples. A, you can go to the nicest restaurant in this town in your pajamas and nobody will bat an eye. You're like your outfit, no, not a yeah. problem. Right. Uh, and my other favorite example is we have like a paint home type store and they have one of these old school, you know, those old school sort of big signs that you can change the letters on. Um, and uh, a few years ago at uh, Halloween, they had a, something, they always do clever shit on the sign. And the sign said something like Halloween or as it's known around here, Thursday. Yeah. Because <laughs> in my, in this town, Around Halloween, like with two or three days ahead of Halloween, you really look at people and you go, is that how they dress or are they dressed up for Halloween? Like, we just don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just had that same experience in Atlantic City. And that's a good example of finding the right fit. You found a whole community of people who are weird like you, right? Of people who aren't judging, people aren't saying you have to do it the right way. Why aren't you wearing khakis and a button down? Um, I had a similar experience the other day. I was... Uh, I was walking down the street in Atlantic City with my daughter and I just finished a speech and I was wearing a pink jacket and a pink shirt and pink pants and mismatched pink shoes. And uh, there was all these people just flowing past us on the way to some kind of Comic-Con thing. They were dressed up like uh, World of Warcraft uh, characters. They were dressed up like all sorts of different things and some really wild outfits with some giant swords and all sorts of things. And uh, some guy who was dressed in a costume and I'm pretty sure dressed like a girl at the same time goes, Hey man, I love your outfit. So I was, I was getting, <laughs> I was getting some respect from a person who's dressed in a costume and I was wearing what I wore to a speech and they were wearing what they were wearing to a convention um, to some kind of, uh, costume convention, um, and they were still able to recognize that, hey, that's not the normal thing that somebody wears, right? Um, and so I think that's that's what you're looking for, and that's a great example. Somebody goes, oh, well, I can't get away with that where I am, then go somewhere else. The yeah. people around here don't like that, then don't be around there. Um, because the idea that nowhere will anybody accept this and no one will accept me, there's no place for me to work. Well, and even then, if there's no place for you to work, make your own thing. Build your own thing, create your own thing, and, and create your own thing that probably starts to attract other people who are weird like you. And to create it, you create the environment then. And then pretty soon you're like, ah, I'm finally surrounded by people like me. But instead of putting that responsibility on other people, I took the responsibility upon myself 
to create this environment because if there's no place for me, there's no place for a lot of other people as well. So instead of complaining about that, what can I do to create a safe place where those people can be themselves as well? And how can we create a community out of this? And that's sort of what's happened over time. I mean, if I look at my Facebook friends, if I look at the people who hire me to speak, if I look at the people that I've connected to over the years, it's because that I'm, a, I'm different, because I'm unusual, because they like my style and because they have a similar story or, or I mean, even your thing, dyslexia and you said ADHD and dyscalculia. All those things, um, you know, that's that's what I talk about. And so people are like, oh, you know, Dave's telling me that's okay. And so uh, the majority of the people that I interact with have some kind of label, some kind of diagnosis. They've been told some kind of thing, even if it's unofficial by somebody, um, or they've been bullied or mistreated or they're outside of the norm. Um, and so I create a safe place for those people to be themselves. Um, and then here's the interesting thing that goes back to your original comment about people want to be liked and accepted it's actually way more people than you would imagine. I think what we assume is the world is mostly normal people who want to be adult, professional, appropriate human beings and follow the rules and do what they're told and fit in and all these kinds of things. And we're this like fringe exception and there's 17 of us. And if we're not careful, we're going to get snuffed out. Um, and I think the reality is um, when you start swearing, uh, 50% of the room goes, mm, hell yeah, that's my kind of guy. And then when your first tattoo peeks out, uh, another 23% of the room's like, oh, tattoos, that's what I'm talking about. And then you talk about your dyslexia, and another 15% of the room is like, oh, my kid has dyslexia, I have dyslexia, my mom has dyslexia, my boss has dyslexia. And then you talk about your dyscalculia, and then, and then pretty soon, the whole room gets you, not always all on the same element, but you put all your different out there and it's going to connect with everybody. Because, And that's the thing that bothers me about the swearing. I, I still, um, because uh, that's a, it's not a significant part of my brand and I can do without it, um, but I prefer to swear when I'm on stage. But I'll ask people ahead of time, you know, how does your crowd feel about swearing? And if they don't like swearing, then I, I turn it off. But I like speaking the best to audiences who don't care. In fact, um, when I speak to the entrepreneur, I speak for entrepreneurs organization at all. They have chapters all over the world. And one time a guy at entrepreneurs organization, he said, they're not, they're not listening to, to you until you drop your first F bomb. It's not only that you are okay to swear. He said, until you start swearing, nobody's even paying attention to you. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's a big lie, uh, with the swearing because most people in their personal life swear. If you cut in front of somebody in traffic, they swear. If you scare the crap out of them, they swear. Um, when they get really mad, they swear. And, and then, but at work, we're supposed to pretend we don't. And at school, we're supposed to pretend that we don't. And to your point, around your children, you're supposed to pretend you don't. But every movie that you go to, even if it's PG-13, PG, uh, even on TV, as soon as you turn on HBO, uh, the swearing's just flying, and then all of a sudden we go into work situations, we go into professional situations, and now swearing is suddenly forbidden. It's like even the dress code stuff. Now, most people don't dress the way they dress at work on the weekends. When you see your boss at the store at Walmart on a Saturday, he, he's not dressed the way he was probably dressed on Thursday. Does that make him less of a boss? Does it make him less of a person? Um, and so I think we just have all these fake things. And when you break through that and you do the thing that everyone else has been hiding, they go, yeah, yeah, I, I want to, I get that. I do that. I didn't think you could do that, but wait a second, he's doing it and it's working. 
maybe I can too. And I think that's, that's what you have to do. Yeah. I, I just love it, David. In a lot of ways, your life's mission feels a lot like mine. You know, I, I, I feel very similar in that um, I gave myself permission to be myself in my 20s. And I also understand there's risks associated with it. I also there understand are. Absolutely. Uh, I will fuck some shit up, right? I know that, um, uh, you know, the, the thing for me is, oh, Christopher's too much, right? <laughs> I was going to say on my fucking tombstone. And, and so I realized, you know what? By allowing myself to be unconstrained about being myself, I know that normally now, you know, as a 51-year-old man, it happens a couple times a year. Uh, it used to happen a couple times a week where I'm going to say or do something. I'm going to go over some line. I'm going to say something flippant. It's going to be terrible. I'm, and you always know it the minute it comes out of your mouth. You're like, oh, fuck. That was a dumb one. And, 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 but when I gave myself permission, I also said, and I'm going to be responsible for all of my actions. I'm going to be responsible for all of my words. And if and when I go over a line, I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to be an adult about it. And at least yeah. for me, I found that, that taking responsibility for being myself, so allowing myself to be fully expressed um, and taking responsibility for it has given other people to do the same thing in a very powerful way. Yeah. So two parts of that. Um, you know, you said there's risks and there are, but they're usually visible. Um, and I think the risks of trying to fit in and hiding who you are and not being authentic are often invisible and you don't see the consequences because it's just, you're just, you don't know what you're missing out on. You don't know who you're not connecting with. You don't know what opportunities you're throwing away. Um, and so saying there's risks to being yourself assumes that it's somehow safer to do it the other way, right? And I think that's what we have to acknowledge. Yes, it is definitely risky to be yourself. There are going to be people who don't get it, who don't like it. There are going to be consequences that are sometimes negative, absolutely. Um, some people will dislike you more than if you just would have played it safe, um, whereas previously they've just been neutral. But also other people are going to love you more whereas previously they would have been neutral too and you don't get anything when people are neutral um so i think there's risks both ways i love what you said about christopher's too much because that's exactly the point that i make in the book um, the subtitle is discovering uniqueness by flaunting weakness and flaunt means to parade without shame it means to be unapologetic and so one of the steps of that is amplification you said christopher's too much what i say if somebody tells you you're too much be more right uh, turn it up uh, even farther. I mean, people told me I talk too much. Now I'm a professional speaker. People told me I was hyperactive and now I do Ironman triathlons and ultra marathons. They said I'd gone too far. Then I went farther. And when I went farther, they're like, oh, that's awesome. You're like, wait a second. I thought it was terrible that I was too active as a child, but then as an adult, I'm, I'm hyperactive and that's amazing when I complete an Ironman. You told me I talked too much. You called me motor mouth. You told me I had to sit still and be quiet and do what I was told. And now people give me thousands of dollars to do a speech and they're like, nice work, Dave, way to find your calling. And so I think that's the lie that we've all been told is that there's this spot in the middle where you're well-balanced, well-rounded. There's a perfect balance of everything. You're the best of both worlds. You've got the right amount of the good stuff. And that's where you have to stop. And you shouldn't be too much. You don't go beyond that spot. You don't go beyond the line. The problem is there is no spot. There is no line. There is no perfection. There is no right, good, whatever. That doesn't exist. And so at some point, 
you have to be yourself and you're going to be too much for some people, but you're going to be just enough for other people. And not only that, you're going to be not enough. So I'll give you an example. I give in my talks. Um, I say, if somebody tells you you're too fill in the blank, what's the fit? What's the job? What's the alignment for this person? So if someone's too critical, the job is to be a critic, right? Hey, Chris, you're too critical. Uh, no, you're not. Be a food critic. Be a music critic. Be a movie critic. Be a person who helps people separate the good from the bad. Be a judge. Um, people tell you you're too controlling. No, you're not. Be a controller. Have that job in the company where you tell people no, yes, no, no, yes, yes, no. Be an air traffic controller. Be the person who says you have to fly around. You don't get to land now. You don't get to take off. We're slowing things down right now. I'm in charge. I'm not asking your opinion. I'm not interested in discussing things with you. I'm not a social worker. I don't have empathy. I'm the controller. Uh, you're too analytical. No, you're not. Be an analyst. They'll need you to do it all day long. And and not only that, and this is why this is crucial, Chris, you're too much. No, you're not. And when you're when you're too analytical, Everybody tells you that and you go, go get a job as an analyst and you're hanging out with analysts all day. They're A, never going to tell you you're too analytical and B, what they're probably going to tell you at some point is, hey, Chris, it's time to crank it up a little bit because you're not analytical enough because you weren't in situations that are around people who had a high level of what you have. It was always too much for those other people. But for us, we need a little more, Chris. And that's when I tell people you find the right fit. When you found the right fit, is when someone says to you, hey, wait a second, you know, Chris, are you are you holding back a little bit? You feel like you've ramped it all the way. You've been yourself. You've dialed it up as far as you can, and you're willing to accept the consequences. And all of a sudden, you're hanging out with this new group of people, and they're like, I feel like you're holding back on us. I feel like you're still kind of uh, trying to tamp it down. You realize, wow, there's another level, and I didn't know. There's another level, and I didn't know because I was so busy trying to kind of even when I thought I was pushing it, I still was comparing myself to people with far less who were telling me it was too much. And now all of a sudden I'm around these new people and they're showing me there's something that I didn't even know existed anymore. And now I can reframe myself in a totally different way. Uh, I love everything you just said. And, and, and there's a, this expression that I've grown to love, which is um, uh, don't give a fuckitude. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it, it's like, if you think I'm too much, great. Then go fuck yourself. Like I, and, and the other one I love, you know, in the world that I live in, and I, I don't do very much of this anymore, but you know, I spent the better part of 30 years as, a, as an entrepreneur and, and a, a CMO in the tech industry. And, um, uh, you know, there's this whole sort of requirement to be professional. And I was a CMO of three public companies and, you know, all, all of these sorts of things. And the truth is, um, the world does respond powerfully. The world responds to you being authentically you. The world understands that I believe one of the greatest sources of pain in life is when we feel like we won't be accepted for what makes us uniquely us. And then we try to contort our fucking selves into what the world, we think the world wants. And at least for me, and I'm curious to get your reaction, David, the big aha, the really big aha is we can't control what other people think anyway. I've had people in my life that I spent 10 years trying to get to fully accept me that I knew didn't accept me, only to finally realize, you know what? Fuck you. Get out of my life, right? If you don't, like my friend Bix, Bix Bixen, my friend and mentor, he says the true definition of love 
is when you are loved for exactly who you are and exactly who you're not. And it's a very powerful statement when we say, I'm going to be me. And you're either going to love me and accept me for me or you're not. And, and that's it. And if you don't go fuck yourself. And I think a, that is so liberating as an individual. It certainly has been for me in my life. And, and B to your point, it invites others to then do the same. Yeah. And that goes back to your risks and your risks, but also the rewards for every person you lose. I'd have to imagine there's five to 10 that you gain uh, without all that effort, with all that, all that contortion. Right. And even like you said, you tried and then it still didn't work. So that's the other thing the conforming to be accepted doesn't work. The person who shows up at the cocktail reception, trying to measure their every behavior to try to cause the people around them to like them, respect them, accept them is almost always the person who isn't liked and respected and accepted. And the person who walks in and to your point says, I don't give a fuck. uh, That's exactly the person that people are like, Ooh, that guy's kind of cool. That lady's got it together. I wonder what that person's all about. I want that person to like me. Now they're doing it to you. Right. And so I think that's part of what happens to me. Sometimes I have people walk up to me and they're like, I was like, Hey, how's it going? And they're like, well, you're the only person in this room with a pink check. And I figured I'd come talk to you. You know, when you don't care, again, it causes other people to go, wait a second. Here's a person who isn't playing by the rules what do they have? What do they? What if they figured out? What do they know that the rest of us don't know? And how can I get some of that? How can I have some of that? And so there is something interesting about. I mean, it's kind of like the difference between you know desperation and confidence. People can sort of test, they can sense it, they can kind of taste it. And desperation feels really bad to people. Um, even if you're doing it for the right reasons, you want to be liked, you want to be accepted. Whereas when you get to that point where you've accepted yourself and you've also accepted that you won't get everyone, it starts to actually be really, really attractive. Um, it's, and so I think to your point, any behavior is going to be attractive to some and, and re- repulsive to others. And, and, and what we assume is there's something that we could do out there that would be the right way that would get everyone that would get most, that would get almost everyone that would get the right people. And it's not true. There's no one way to be, there's no right way to handle it. I mean, I just was talking yesterday to a guy who moved from California to New York because he wants people who are direct, straight up, who always tell you the truth, who don't care about your feelings and give it to you straight no matter what. And in his mind, that happens more in New York than it happens in California. He felt like in California, people would say, I like your project. I like your idea. I'd love to get involved. I'd love to do lunch. And they never get back to you because they were just trying to smile and make you feel good and not hurt your feelings. And in New York, he feels like people, if they don't like it, they just tell them they don't like it. And so he was attracted to that place And he actually came off to me as quite a bit of a jerk. And I don't think I personally would have enjoyed spending a lot of time with him, but he's found his people and he's found his place. And he loves New York because they've got all the things that he really likes and they've got none of the things that he doesn't like. And I think someone else would would leave New York and go to California for precisely the same reasons, right? Precisely the opposite reasons, that they're tired of all the the rudeness and lack of courtesy in New York, but he doesn't see it that way. He sees all the upside and none of the downside. And and I think that's the reality of everything. And that's why I try to show people every characteristic is good and bad at the same time. Every characteristic is a strength and weakness at the same time. Every characteristic has advantages and disadvantages. So sooner or later, lock in with your particular characteristics maximize the upside, stop worrying about the downside because everything that you could possibly do has a downside. Every way that you could potentially act has a downside. 
The other thing I, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, by the way, I don't like that about California either. And, and I have found a tribe of people who are that way in California. Cause if you're, um, you probably heard this expression, a grin fucker, right? <laughs> I've never heard that I've never expression. Heard the expression. That guy just grin fucked me. But it's very um, descriptive. It's very clear the first time I did hear it. And by the way, if I'm in a conversation with somebody that I'm going to be working with or, you know, there's an ongoing relationship. If it's just in one interaction and we're done, then who gives a shit? But if it's some ongoing thing and I detect that they're grin fucking me, they're doing that California. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they sort of they kill you in the back channel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I literally say to them, hey. Um, can I be straight with you? And of course, everybody says yes. And I say, I get the impression that maybe you're being a little disingenuous <sighs> and I just fucking have Adam. Right. Yeah. I, I cannot stand people who are indirect. I cannot stand people who won't tell you to your face, grow a fucking pair, be an adult yeah. and fucking say it, say it in the goddamn yeah. meeting, say it yeah. in the conversation. Like, and so I, I'm, I'm with your, your, your New Yorker guy on that. I'm not a big fan of the grin fucker. Um, I also, oh, I want to go back. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, uh, no, it's fine. You used this word flaunt a little while ago, David. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I live in a part of the world where, you know, there's a lot of celebration of different. I mean, Santa Cruz is fucking different yeah. central. And, and, you know, San Francisco um, is known for a lot of, quote unquote, alternative lifestyles, right? Yeah. And, and so by way of example, you know, we have gay pride days and all this sort of stuff. Right. And there's parades and shit. And I'll hear people say like, well, there's no parade for being straight. Like, why do they have to, it's okay. They want to be gay, but why do they have to fucking, you know, wear these outfits and get all weird and flags and whatever the fuck they're doing? Why do they have to steal the fucking rainbow? And you start to hear all this stuff come out of them. And I kind of, I'm with you. I'm like, well, you know what? In this particular example, people in the LGBTQ world, um, these are people who felt and and were suppressed for a long time. Yeah. If they were open and 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 honest about who they are, they could get physically hurt, and they could su suffer all sorts of career consequences, physical consequences, yeah. you know, et cetera. And so there was damn good reason for for centuries, if not millennium, right. Um, to hold back on this stuff. And I look at it and go, fuck yeah, put on whatever outfit you want and wave your flag around and celebrate the fact that you don't have to hide anymore. Flaunt the shit. I, I think it's yeah. fantastic. I don't get why people um, have such a negative reaction to flaunting and celebrating. Um, because they, they can't, are. no, no, no. So it's exactly, it's, it's, it's because it reminds people how much they're not. It reminds people how ashamed they are. It reminds people how apologetic they are. It reminds people how they are not parading without shame. Um, it reminds them that they oftentimes are suppressing who they are and, 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 and they wish that. Uh, and again, it also, it, it also takes away their sense of being, of being special. Um, so I think, so I think this is the big lie. Like you just said it, alternative lifestyles. Okay, so find me someone with the normal lifestyle. I mean, this is, this is one of the big lies of our society. Find me the person who has exactly the average number of kids and the, 
the average years of marriage and his average height and average weight and has an average salary and lives in an average sized town. If you found that person, they would be the most unusual person you'd ever met because they don't exist. Um, and I actually love, there's this new book um, by a guy named uh, Todd Rose called the, the Myth of Average. And, and he talks about this in so many ways that they, for example, they average together um, uh, all the measurements of, of every woman that they sort of had scientific access to into this normal woman. And then they had people in this contest try to take their own measurements and see who could be the closest to this average woman's body size. And there wasn't one single human being who had those dimensions. Uh, and, and even in even in three or four or five of the of the characteristics. And so I think this idea that any group um, is part of some alternative lifestyle misses the fact that we're all involved in some kind of alternative lifestyle. It's just where, it's just in what part. Is it then you that you have so many kids or you don't have kids or that you've been married so long or that you've not been married at all or, or that you're gay or that you started your own business or that you're really tall or that you have tons of tattoos or that you've never had a tattoo or that you love alcohol or never drink alcohol or that you're addicted to coffee or you don't have caffeine. There's nobody who has a normal lifestyle. There's nobody who has the right lifestyle. There's nobody. And so that's the whole myth. And I think that's what bothers people so much sometimes is once somebody else gets comfortable flaunting it, it causes the rest of us to have to go, oh, huh, I guess maybe that means I could too, and I haven't been. And sometimes that causes enough regret that makes people angry enough that they want to, instead of saying, I'm going to start flaunting, they want to stop the other people from flaunting. Hey, if I've got to shut down who I am, you've got to shut down mm -hmm. who you are too. And when you don't, that bothers me. It's just like I used to teach, like I said, non-traditional students. And so these are adults who had careers, and they had families and they were coming back to school as an adult to get their degree. And um, I found out at this um, event that I was speaking at for um, adult education, they did some research. And the number one reason that first generation college students fail uh, to complete college, first generation college student is somebody who probably, is, as anybody could figure out, but just to be clear, is the first person in their family, extended family, to ever go to college. No one, parents, grandparents, cousins, no one's gone to college. Uh, they're the first person in their family to go to college. The reason those people fail is not just because of a lack of support from family members and friends, it's because of active discouragement from family members and friends. Oh, you think you're so special, you're going to college. Oh, you're so smart. Oh, you're going to do better for yourself because the jobs we do are so crappy. Oh, I guess you're so amazing. Instead of saying, wow, how awesome that someone in my family is taking that next step and setting that example and being a role model and maybe showing other people the way, the people who haven't done that are like, wait a second, maybe the excuses that I had for not doing that are invalid. If that person is just like me, they have the same background, they have the same income, they have all the same restrictions and, and problems and disadvantages that I have. If they could do it, it means that I could do it. But I've been lying to myself and telling myself it wasn't possible for people like me. And now this person is starting to challenge my identity. And we yes. don't like that. And we don't like the way that feels. And again, instead of saying, okay, then I'll change my identity and I will raise the bar for myself, we want to pull that person down because if I can make them smaller, then I can feel bigger. And so this is, the, this is a big challenge um, at some point if you've gotten sucked into the conformity um, trap, uh, it feels good when you feel like everyone's in that trap.
uh, it doesn't feel good to know you can escape. And it doesn't feel good to know that you have choices because then you have to take a, a deep look at yourself and that can be pretty painful sometimes. If my greatness invalidates you, you're not my friend. Yeah, that's I exactly. I had this happen recently. Yeah. It blew my mind. You know, I've gotten to know all these, these folks in the podcast world and it's been, it's been a wonderful experience over the last couple of years. And I had this experience recently and it really saddened me. Uh, it, it's with two podcasters who I won't name because it's inappropriate. Both of them are incredibly successful, been in the industry for a long time, and they compare notes on a bunch of things. And one of them has a more successful show than the other, as is always the case, right? We all have friends who have more money than us, less money than us, fatter than yeah. us, thinner than us, stronger yeah. than us, shorter than us, taller than us. We all, you know, whatever measure you want, we have friends who are wherever. Anyway, and the impression I had gotten with these two folks was that they were good friends and they sort of supported each other. And one of them, who I've gotten to know better than the other, shared with me, uh, and this is the one that has the less popular podcast, that on, um, I forget which platform now, but on one of the, 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 the platforms, the podcast listening, listening platforms, that uh, his show is doing better than the other guy's show. And they sort of found that out when they were comparing notes on some stuff. And, um, and the guy with the more popular podcast got really upset that the guy with the less popular podcast on this one platform is outperforming him. And, and to the point where it made the, the guy with the less popular podcast sort of uncomfortable and kind of switched conversations and went over there. And I just thought about that. And I, I remember sharing the conversation with my wife, Carrie going, what the fuck is wrong with this other guy? First of all, he's the more successful guy. <laughs> right. And second of all, if you're friends, like, and maybe this is not true when you're younger, although I, I think it was probably always true for me, for the most part. I mean, we all have a little envy in, in us, of course, but when one of my friends is succeeding, yeah, like I have many friends who are podcasters. I have many friends who are authors and, and, and many, many friends in business and entrepreneurs and CMOs and CEOs and VCs and all these people. And many of them are way more successful than I am. And some of them I'm way more successful than they are. And some of them it's about the same and whatever, whatever, whatever. But, you know, I, we, I mentioned Hal Elrod. Hal uh, has self-published all of his books up until his, first, his most recent one, which is called the, um, oh, fuck, The Miracle Equation. And a major publisher approached him and this had happened multiple times and he'd turned them down for multiple reasons. But anyway, this major pu publisher approaches him and they offer him a truly gigantic advance. And um, when he told me this, he said, well, you know, I'm going to go the traditional route this time because I forget the publisher, but whoever was showed up. And then he told me the number and I, my jaw dropped. And all I felt, David, was pure joy for Hal. Fucking yeah. A, Hal. Yeah. He's one of the greatest guys I know. And the more successful he is, the happier I am about it. And I contrast that to this, this podcaster story I told you. And so there's an interesting thing I've learned along the way, which is um, if your success invalidates other people, then I don't, I'll speak for myself, I don't want those other people in my life because I know yeah. The success of my friends, my family, the people that I love. As a matter of fact, I'm at that place in my life, David, where their success means way more to me 
than my Absolutely. own. Of course, I want to continue to have success at what I do. But, but you know, I, I've had plenty of days in the sun, right? How's a younger guy than me? He's in an earlier stage in his career. He's had some real hardship around cancer. And, and you know, he was in this horrible car accident and almost died. And, you know, and he's a dad and he's married to this great gal. And like, I, I, his success makes me more happy than my success. Yeah. And I, I don't understand this thing. And so I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to lead to somewhere, which is, you know, this thing about going to college that you mentioned and, and being criticized for it. How, yeah. do you, how do you think about that? And more importantly, how do you counsel people uh, that are trying to go for it and yet their world, their environment, the people around them is saying yeah. the kinds of things you described? Yeah, well, one of my favorite quotes, I included it in my first book on leadership, The Four Factors of Effective Leadership. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I use when I talk about that, and it's it, I use it all the time um, just in life, is from Mark Twain. He says, keep away from people who belittle your ambitions because small people always do that. The truly great make you feel that you too can become great, right? So I think the answer to how to respond is you have to get away from those people and you have to find people who uh, will support you, who will encourage you, who wouldn't possibly understand that. Um, and that's the story, right? Keep away from people who belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. Well, why do small people do that? Because they want to feel big without getting bigger. That's the key. They want to feel big without getting bigger. Like like in your in your situation with Hal, there's, there's, there's probably three ways to respond, but there's kind of two. One is to be, like you said, envious or jealous of, of his success and be like, well, I wish that wouldn't have happened because now it kind of makes me feel bad about myself because I haven't gotten advanced like that. That's one response. The other way to respond is, wait a second, if somebody that I know and I'm connected to has just made it from here to here and I'd like to get there, now it's time to start working. It's time to start pushing. And how awesome that I have a friend like that person because I could ask him, what are 15 questions that I could ask him about what he's done that could help me potentially accomplish that same goal? Right. And then there's also the middle response, which is yours, which is just like, yeah, awesome. But if it does make you feel bad or disappointed or like you haven't accomplished as much, there's no reason to pull the other person down to make yourself feel bigger. Why not pull yourself up? Right. And so I think that's one of the options that we miss is that instead of trying to invalidate that other person, if we're starting to feel small, maybe it's because we are and maybe it's time to, to, to get in gear. Maybe it's time to make some changes. Maybe it's time to make some improvements. And why couldn't that person be a member of our team to help us accomplish that? So I love that for Mark Twain. And he puts the answer right in there. Keep away from those people. Yeah. Um, and so when you see that happening, instead of saying, well, these are my people and I guess, you know, they don't like it. And I guess I, you know, they're family. Uh, you know, that's another one where I'm very unconventional. If you have a family like that, they're the wrong people. Uh, you create a new family. I think people are like family is everything. I think that's total nonsense. You did not pick your family and your family did not pick you. Um, and you, you pick your friends, pick your acquaintances, pick your, pick your mentors, um, people have messed up families for all sorts of reasons. Uh, imagining that somehow you have to live your life to please a bunch of people that you were randomly put in contact with through a series of events that were beyond your control is just one of the myths that, that we live in in our society. And I, 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 I like my family. I love my family. I uh, support my parents. Um, uh, but that's, that's not something where uh, I don't live my life based on how do those people feel and how will those people respond and would those people give me a thumbs up on this? That's not my job. Um, and if it makes somebody in my family unhappy, what I'm up to, that's disappointing. 
Um, but that's not that's not a decision maker for me. Um, and so if those people are dragging you down, if those people are limiting your success, if those people are trying to make you small and those people don't celebrate your successes, then they're not the right people and you can move on um, and, and find other people who don't feel the same way. I don't think that that family has to be an exception to the rule of who you keep away from and who you stay with. Yes, we, we, we can. And this, you know, this is another thing about family. We can and we do pick our family. Like if you think about, uh, um, you know, Professor Scott Galloway would say it's arguably the biggest decision we make, which is who's our spouse. Yeah. Right. And what he said when he was with me on the podcast was because there's so much upside and there's so much downside. It's the biggest decision. And I have thought yeah. for years, um, introduce me to your spouse and I know everything I need to know about you. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's family we pick. And I'm like you, I love my family. I'm generally pretty close to my family. Some people more than others. I'm pretty close to my parents, et cetera, et cetera. But to your point, yeah, yeah. just because like my aunt is your mother doesn't mean we need to be friends. You, right. might, you might be an asshole. And if you are, you can go fuck yourself, right? <laughs> I don't well, care. Well, your spouse, you're, you're right. Your spouse is the exception to that rule. Um, but besides that, we don't, yeah, we don't pick our family. Um, and right. So we don't need to let those people, but even that people, that's why people get divorced because they pick the wrong person or, or, or whatever it happened to be. Um, but that you're right. That is one place where we have control, um, is it, is in our spouse or, or the people that we've chosen to live with. Um, and, and I think we have to take responsibility for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, David, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap? Um, No, I mean, I think I, I think my final challenge to people would be to 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 take a small step, right? Take a small step. You know, if you think this stuff wouldn't work, if you think because what they do is they look at you and they look at what you say, they look at me and they look at what I say, and what oftentimes someone's going to do is go, "Yeah, that works for Christopher. Yeah, that works for Dave, but that wouldn't work for me." Or, "Oh, yeah, well, there that's an exception. Christopher started his own business. Dave's a speaker. I've got a normal job." Um, oftentimes, when I suggest this in a business context. People will say, oh, you don't understand our customers. Our customers are buttoned down and they're very conventional. I just had this happen the other way, uh, other day. And I said, yeah, that's exactly why this would work because you would stand out. I said, we're not talking about uh, they, they were going to wear per wear more purple uh, when they did their trade shows and have different kinds of things and, and respond in a different way than the classic trade show and convention. Um uh, people do. And, and, and they said, no, that's not going to work because everybody's carrying a briefcase and wearing a blue suit and has, has shined, you know, black shoes. Um, and these people wouldn't respond to that. That's exactly why they would respond to it because everyone else is doing it those ways. you you, it, yeah, if you were at a marketing conference, you wouldn't stand out doing these things that, but, but this, that's not where you are. And, and so, uh, Try it in a small way. Try it a small way in your world. Um, get some different glasses. Show your uh, tattoo. Um, take a chance with, with a person that you think would get it or would get you with this thing that you've been afraid of flaunting, this thing you've been afraid of amplifying. When people tell you you're too much, think about, is there one person in my life who doesn't think I'm too much? And talk to them about that and find out if you could be a little more, at least when you're around them. Um, take some kind of step and, and look for role models. 
don't see those people as 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 exceptions that prove you can't do it. Um, see those people as proving that it is possible. And instead of saying, well, Christopher's an exception, Dave's an exception, go, yeah, well, they are an exception. They are exceptional. They are doing something that I wish I could do. How did that happen? How does that work? Listen, l- listen to the podcast, read the books, ask how you could make that possible in your life, not immediately invalidate um, that somehow that wouldn't work for you, that couldn't happen for you. It's not possible in your world. Um, there's millions and millions of examples, and I think that's part of it. You just start looking for them, you find them everywhere. But we've been the blinders got put on really early for most of us, and we don't see those stories because we're not looking for them um, because we've been told they don't exist. Amen, hallelujah. You know, I'm reminded we had um, uh, Dr. Jacob Towery on the podcast a little while ago, and he is a psychiatrist for mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley in a pretty rich, you know, Stanford, Palo Alto, yeah. atherton area, right? Like we're talking right. about some very serious fucking zip codes. And this dude has a five, like, foot, it feels like mohawk, right? I, I don't know how actually big it is, but I mean, it is a full-on... Yeah. I play drums in fucking the Red Hot Chili Peppers Mohawk, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he's he's the he's the kid shrink with the Mohawk, right? And it, I mean, th- so I guess my point is, and I find this too. I have a probably if I if I, I was thinking as you were talking about my friends and business relationships and so forth, I would say it's probably 60 percent that tend to be more conservative. Uh, not necessarily uh, um, politically, although maybe, but like in the way they dress and the way they present themselves and the way they talk. And I find, you know, there is a yin and a yang thing in the world. And uh, I spent my entire life around engineers and and building software and venture capitalists and Wall Street people. And, you know, and, and, and they appreciate the, uh, the exceptional, the outrageous, the, the over the topness, um, and in some ways, I think it's because uh, many of them are secretly wearing women's underwear or, or, yeah. or, or whatever they're, 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 they're hiding their freak and mine's a little oh, yeah. in the open. <laughs> yep. No, you're hundred percent right. I mean, I've had that exact situation. Nobody showed me women's underwear, but what'll happen is I'm like at a big CPA conference and there's people there from, uh, there's, there's people there from Chase and they're from J and they're from JP Morgan and, um, uh, this guy I still remember it was in New Jersey and um, it always happens, you know, and they're, they're dressed real sharp and they're dressed real conservative. And the guy kind of pulls his pant leg up a tiny bit and shows that he's got wild socks on because that's all that's allowed in his environment. So he's got that and it wants to let it out, but he can't. But he wants me to know, like, I get it, Dave. We're on the same team. And even I was just uh, I fly Delta. And I, I was getting on the plane the other day and I'm wearing all my pink and there's a little bit of pink peeking out in the, the flight attendants uh, under, uh, between his pants and his shoes. And he shows me, he goes, hey, I got, he goes, I love pink. I got that on my socks. He, he goes, it's only on the heel because I can't wear all pink socks yet. That's not allowed. Um, but I got it on the heel. Um, and so there are, I think that's the thing. People are dying to let it out. And I also think you made a good point. I don't judge someone if they're wearing khakis and a golf shirt. I don't judge somebody if they have an MBA. I don't judge somebody if they went to college. I don't judge somebody if they don't swear. I don't judge somebody if they got a normal job. I don't drive, judge somebody if they drive a Honda Civic. Um, 
if, if you're a normal person and you dress in conventional ways and you have a conventional job and you live in the suburbs and you are genuinely being yourself and that's what you like and you're watching the Netflix shows that everyone else is watching and you're listening to the top 40 radio station and you're drinking Bud Light and you have a wife and 2.4 kids and you make $43,472 a year and you live in Columbus, Ohio, and you're happy and you're living your life, go for it. You know what I mean? So, so by, and that's the other thing that I think we have to be careful of. Then some people are like, hey, if you're not visibly weird, if you're not, if you're not like me, if you're not flaunting it, that's not acceptable. Some people don't have to flaunt it. They're just being themselves. It's just, it doesn't stick out because that's who they are is sort of something that we would expect or that seems relatively normal. And I think that's part of, like you said, the yin and the yang is accepting that we need all types of people. Um, everybody doesn't need to have a tattoo. Everybody doesn't need to start a business. Everybody doesn't need to wear pink. Everybody doesn't need to swear. Whatever you're doing though, just make sure it's you. And I respect you if you're up, what you're up to isn't suppressing who you are right and so i think that's a big part of it is 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 not having a, an us and them sort of a thing it's recognizing that in your words and i think you're right a lot of people that isn't who they are it, it's them going well i think this is who i have to be and when they see you or they see me they're like oh it's possible i want to let it out right i want to let it out and i i love that that you think they might respect you because they've got something weird going on that nobody knows about and, I, and that's what i'm saying that's what i said earlier about alternative lifestyles i think that's probably true for 98.7% of the population but whatever it is they got something going on that they don't let most people know about because they think no one would like me respect me accept me if they knew and yet everybody's got something like that everybody's got something like that. And the lie is that most people don't and you're the weird one. That, it's the reason Alcoholics Anonymous works. You walk in and you go, oh, wow, these people made terrible decisions too. These people did things they're ashamed of too. These people have the same problem I have. I'm not as horrible and awful as I thought I was. I'm not as weird as I thought I was. There's other people who have the same difficulties and that's precisely what helps the healing process is for the person to see, I am not one in 8 billion with this horrible problem that no one else understands. And I haven't done things that no one else can believe or imagine these other people have done just as much or worse. And in fact, wow, actually I may be not as bad of a person as I thought. I'm glad I came here now. We need to find people like that for ourselves. And the other thing I'd say about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've only been to a few meetings, but I have, I have a couple of friends who are alcoholics who are in the program, and I've been in uh, meetings with them to support them. And uh, one in particular who comes and stays with me from time to time, and he goes to a me meeting on most days, uh, even when he's traveling. And so I've been to meetings with him. When you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just somebody who likes to drink and I know that there's a difference. Uh, but anyway, when you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, it, at least the first time I went, I was like, hmm, is, is it going to be weird that I'm not like on the team, you know? And you know what? They're hugely accepting of non-alcoholics who yeah. are just people who like to drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great example. So I think that's the other thing too, is that the similarity we can have with people going all the way back to your initial thing. Do we want to be accepted or do we want to be ourselves? The similarity we can have with somebody else is that their, their 
willing to be themselves. And even if it's not the same way that we are, we can, we can see that the similarity is they're also willing to be different, that they're also willing to be authentic yes. and that their choice to drink or not drink, to tattoo or not tattoo, to swear or not swear, to marry or not marry, to go to college or not go to college um, is the thing that binds us together. Hey, nice work being yourself. Yeah. I'm glad you made that decision. You're proud of it. You did it intentionally. It's part of who you are. I can respect that, even though that's not my decision. That's not my preference. That's not my belief. Is that my acceptance of you is that our similarity is we're both living our own lives authentically and being ourselves and not trying to fit into a system that doesn't care about us. David, I can't thank you enough for this time. I love, I love your freak. <laughs> and we're recording this. I know you said we're not talking a lot about listeners and podcasts, but this is important. I think as a wrap up, it's July 3rd and this may not go out on Independence Day, but that's something to think about. I think on Independence Day, right? We think about freedom in this big, broad sense. I think we need to think about independence for ourselves. I think that's something to think about. Am I truly being independent um, or am I, am I trying to conform to these things? Um, I think that's a good thing to think about on July 4th, not just massive sort of independence, but also that, that daily independence. Well, and actually to put a finer point on it, um, there are a lot of places in the world where you can't be independently who you want to be. That's right. That's right. Right. Uh, There are a lot of places in the world where it really sucks to be a woman, where it really sucks to have uh, to be gay, where it really sucks to have a different, political point of view, a different religious yeah. belief, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I, yeah. look, I'm an immigrant to, to this country. I love the United States of America. I love Canada. Those of us who live in free societies have an, an advantage. And I would say. A responsibility. If yeah, you don't say it, I'll say it. Yeah. I, I'll <laughs> live our full life in that. Yeah. Right. Because you know what? Because other people can't. If, 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 if you're a gay person living in a lot of the part of the world, you can't have that parade in San Francisco or, or That's if right. you're a guy that wants to wear a pink outfit, you can't wear that in a lot of part of the world. Yeah. So God bless America, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. And God bless our personal independence. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, brother. Keep up the legendary work. I appreciate it very much. All right. It's been awesome. There he is. The freak, the pink freak, <laughs> my buddy, David Randall. And if you enjoyed this episode, you might also like episode uh, number 28 of Follow Your Different with the incomparable Dory Clark on reinventing you. Now, the folks at Honey Stinger um, uh, really did something interesting when they picked NetSuite. Chris Tarmucci, the director of operations at Honey, uh, Honey Sticker, and, and they're a uh, stinger, excuse me. And they're the folks that make those yummy organic foods for athletes and backcountry folks. Um, he says that the biggest difference NetSuite has made for us is the ability to concentrate on our customers. NetSuite allows us to get the back office out of the way and lets us concentrate on our core mission. And isn't that what every business leader wants? The ability to focus on what matters and, uh, and stay focused on your core mission. Honey Stinger selected NetSuite over SAP and Microsoft Dynamics because NetSuite met Honey Stinger's requirements for flexibility and scalability, and they were able to deploy NetSuite in just 10 weeks. 
And NetSuite, believe it or not, is more cost-effective than you might expect. And so if you want the kind of results that Honey Stinger's gotten from NetSuite, check out netsuite.com different. And as a listener to this podcast, NetSuite is offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Check out netsuite.com different today. Also, I'd like to encourage you to check out Lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D, uh, and sign up for our newsletter, The Difference. And check out my new marketing podcast, Lockhead on Marketing, at Lockhead.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, uh, Overcast, um, uh, Spotify, and wherever else you might get legendary podcasts. All right. We would like to thank the book by our friend and today's guest, uh, Dr. Randall, The Freak Factor, Discovering Uniqueness by Flaunting Weakness. Come on. That is such a legendary subtitle. Discovering Uniqueness by Flaunting Weakness, The Freak Factor. Pick up a couple hundred copies today, wherever you get legendary books. My friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org, dream, plan, and live your best life. Check them out. And uh, it might be sold out, but it, I'm not sure. It's getting close. Um, come visit us in October in beautiful Long Beach, California. I will be speaking there uh, amongst uh, many other folks who are uh, su- super legendary <laughs> superstars. Check out OneLifeFullyLive.org today. Uh, my friends at bottleneck.online want to help you gain some more time with the power of a virtual assistant. Check out bottleneck.online and growwire.com. It's what legendary entrepreneurial people are reading. Check it out today, growwire.com. And if you are a US-based, Silicon Valley-based company and you want to do legendary marketing in the UK and throughout Europe, then visit my friends at positivemarketing.com. And frankly, if you're in the UK and you want to do legendary marketing, check them out anyway, (laughs) positivemarketing.com. And the incredible folks at the Front Row Foundation. Um, This is an amazing nonprofit that helps give people facing a life-threatening condition a uh, life-changing experience. Check out the thefrontrowfoundation.org. All right, today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain uh, perturbed. Warning, do not pour this very hot oddcast on your midsection. And um, this podcast has been shown to uh, cause some awesomeness in lab rats. Support your global f- global freakiness. Uh, remember to find us at Lockhead.com. If you must email us, send email to blackhole at Lockhead.com. Uh, you've been forewarned by John's Crazy Socks. Don't forget to tell two people you love about two podcasts you love. And uh, make no mistake, I love you for sharing and telling people about this podcast. Uh, it means the world to me that you do that. Uh, Listen to Debbie Harry. Don't forget, the road less traveled is always more interesting. Thank you, Candy Dandy. Love you, Mom and Dad. And uh, hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Richard C. Kelly, chairman of Pacific Gas and Electric. Sorry, Dick, we just ran out of time for you. But you know who I got all the time in the world for? You. I really appreciate you investing part of your life with me. Uh, Please stay legendary. And of course, until we're together again, follow your different.